Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. This is Michael Fragan here with Phil Goldfeder, the Assistant Vice President for Government Affairs at Yeshiva University. And coming to you on the Nachum Siegel Network, NachumSiegel.com, around the world on Arut Sheva, as well National News, slash radio. And welcome to Thursday morning political talk as we approach 100 days of the new Trump administration. And, well, there's just a lot to talk about. I mean, the things, things keep... Well, bordering on the absurd, let's put it that way, as we as we saw. Uh, and you have to wonder at this point, is this administration prepared to deal with international issues? You have in pretty much every continent right now going on some significant international issues. I mean, whether it is Brexit and other or Ukraine in Europe and Syria, obviously the Middle East now dominating the headlines and China and the issues over there with North Korea. Um, as the uh, Chinese president comes to play some golf, or maybe not play, actually he doesn't like golf, now that I remember this, doesn't like golf, uh, comes to Mar-a-Lago in, uh, in Florida, and, you know, I think it's just, you know, the Trump's, uh, Trump family actually also, I guess, also goes to Florida for Pesach, uh, as you say. <laughs> so as we approach 100 days, we also approach the Pesach holiday, where we will be on hiatus for a week, and uh, hopefully give us some time to breathe and to ruminate over the state of affairs, uh, and... Uh, Phil on a bon voyage uh, off to Florida. We we you know we're looking and we come back. Uh, I think it's just going to be about just about a hundred days. So I'm what excited. do you think so far? Well, first uh, let me say that uh, I'm excited to uh, to go follow the Trump uh, presidency to Florida to um, um, in the coming days and, and spend my uh, Pesach in beautiful sunny Isles, Florida. Um, I apologize to all those who can't get there and join and hear some uh, fascinating lectures. But if you catch our show and uh, over the next coming, you know, couple of weeks, then uh, I can assure you. I'll or you catch up, right? You or catch, catch up, up on past episodes. You'll, you'll get a recap. I mean, look, that's a very important thing to do over vacation is to catch up on episodes of Spin Class. <laughs> I um, we've said this before, and, and let's start. Let, let's start with this. I think it's a good place to start because every elected official and, and government official, I think, knows or should know. You're only as good as the people you surround yourself with, right? It doesn't matter how smart you are. Not, no one elected official can do the entire job, right? Well, even it's something as simple as a city council district or a state assembly district or a mayor or a governor, especially a president. You're only as good as your advisors, as the people you're surrounding yourself with who are giving you the day-to-day the -day advice about how to go about the business of governing. I think that's the thread that kind of brings the first how many days so far? I don't know, 75 days. Um, that's the thread. I'm going to take out my counter. I'll be back to you in a second. Okay, back. great. That's the thread, I think, that, that holds sort of, that, that pieces all of this together. Because I think that what we have seen, and going back to statements that weren't retracted or misquotes or um, uh, decisions that kind of just make you want to scratch your head and, and you're a bit baffled about, like, why would you do that? It's very, very simply is that this president admits by his own admission is not a politician. He doesn't have political experience and he doesn't necessarily uh, know the best way to manage Washington and, and international affairs. And so how do you respond to that? How do you, what do you do about that? You surround yourself with people. I'm not saying who are seasoned political operatives. I'm not saying surround yourself by Washington insiders, but surround yourself with people who understand international affairs, who understand the, the difficult navigation process of government and bring those people as your advisors. I have nothing to say wrong about Ivanka Trump, but if you saw the look that the, the German chancellor gave her when she was speaking at a table, I mean, there's, a, there's an icon, what I, have, what I think is becoming an iconic photo of literally 
Merkel giving her this sneer as Ivanka Trump is speaking. And the memes, they write themselves. And that's because you have inexperienced people who are literally sitting with world leaders and, and negotiating. Again, this is not a negative on Donald Trump. This is not negative well, it on... Well, it actually is. I mean, let's, let's be honest here. They're, they're, what, what I mean by that, I don't mean it's not a negative. It's not, I'm not talking negative against Donald Trump. I am. I'm, what I mean is that it's not a... I'm not saying they're bad people. I'm not saying Ivanka is a bad person. I'm not saying Jared is a bad person. I'm not saying Rex Tillerson is a bad person. I'm wondering if they are qualified to be sitting in the chairs they are currently occupying. That's what I'm wondering. Well, there's there's so many questions <laughs> in that, and you know, let's let's be honest here, Phil. Uh, you know, that was negative, oh, <laughs> just by virtue of the fact that it certainly wasn't positive. So we'll take it that. And uh, by the way, we are coming to you from uh, Central Park in Cedars, New York, uh, having some delicious muffins and coffee, um, and. Where you would think, or one should think, I mean, it comes back to the chief of staff. It comes back to a lot of the different personnel around. But what you get the sense here, and particularly this week in the stories, and not to pick on Jared and Ivanka here, but Jared Kushner goes to Iraq. And the Secretary of State, Rex Dawson, has not been to Iraq yet. And... You, you get the feeling. And then, of course, they denied for months that Ivanka Trump was going to get a job in the White House. She wasn't going to get it up. She is anything. Denied. She's not going to get a security clearance. Then she gets a job in the security clearance. I'm fine with that. The president should have the liberty and have the discretion to pick who he wants for his, uh, for his administration, to run his White House, to run his job, if that's the way he wants to do it. But a refrain that we had over and over was that he's going to have the best and the brightest people. He's going to empower them. And even if Trump is inexperienced, he's going to have people around him. Well, actually, right now, he has incredible inexperience going on. Uh, and not only that, you've had people, and he seems to rely entirely on family. I mean, it seems, I mean, the, the joke or the quip over the past week is that Jared Kushner is the secretary of everything. <laughs> So it's, you know, he's literally running everything. I mean, his portfolio is so big right now so as to wonder actually what he's actually responsible and, for. And, 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 and I think that one thing we have to think about is, is that even possible? So a business as big as the U.S. government, you want to say, okay, it's a business, and he's running it as a business, and he's a businessman. Well, if it's such a big business, you have to be able to delegate to somebody. You have to be able to offload to somebody, or Jared has to be able to offload to somebody. We're getting into a situation where... Everything and every single decision has to go through one person. I'm not even saying the president has to go through Jared Kushner for good or for bad. It's not a question of it's not a referendum on him. But if the only people you trust in your family and you don't have enough family members to go around, we have a problem. And I'm by the way, and I and I, I think Jared is a very, very smart guy and I think he's very, very capable, but but everybody hits their limit, right? You know, you have these CEOs. CEOs of major Fortune 500 companies who surround themselves with people who can help them make decisions on a database basis to, to run their entity. It's the same thing here. You're exactly right. I think, Michael, you hit it right on the head is that you're, you're out of capacity. You've, you've officially run out of people and, and, and brain power and, and, and capacity to, to actually make these decisions. And I think, and again, I, you know, seeing what happened this week with, uh, with Syria um, and Bashar al-Assad and, and his use of chemical weapons, right? So what's the U.S. response? What is our doctrine? What is our, where do we, what, what is our official international position on this? Are we going out there? Are we, are we going to be sending troops? Do, what, what do we do? What, what is we responding? What is the Trump doctrine? There is zero so far, right? Because well, if you listen to Rex Tillerson and you hear his statements and 
he kind of is not saying anything and not really going in any direction. And he actually he was, said that the Syrian people should be the ones to decide what goes on in Syria. And what did Nikki Haley say, and, right, our, our UN ambassador, who, who basically said that maybe we should be more involved. You're getting, you, there's no definitive, clear direction. Now, this is the issue, right? If you surround yourself, if your Secretary of State is a capable, international, um, experienced um, operator, then... Arguably, he should be discussing this with the president almost immediately, right? One would think that this is uh, this is this is a big deal, and so you're talking to the president almost immediately, and you come out with a statement because I don't mind if I disagree with somebody, and I do. It happens all the time, right? Yeah, you disagree. There with needs some- to be a position. That's the point. That's exactly the point. Meaning, you can't debate a non-position. You can't, and so maybe that's the president's philosophy, right? I'm just going to do nothing and hope for the best, and no one could say I'm making a mistake. I think the mistake here is not doing anything, not saying anything, because I'd rather him take a position I disagree with than the way we're going right now. Well, I think that that actually is a broader statement here with regard to a White House that seems unprepared for the impacts that it needs to have, both proactively and reactively, to what's going on in the world. And, you know... The president said this week, interestingly enough, that he doesn't—he wants to be president of the United States, not president of the world, which is a strange statement when you think about it in context, because if America is you know, stepping back from its longtime doctrine, which is like two centuries old, of actually getting involved in world affairs, that world affairs actually matter. I mean, the idea that there's peace in Europe and other places or peace on our northern border and our southern border in different places actually matters, right? I mean, we didn't... The, the Cuban Missile Crisis was because the Soviet Union set up missiles, nuclear missiles, 90 miles away from the United States. These things happen. They have a tendency to encroach upon you. If if, if Al-Qaeda has a home in Afghanistan, it actually matters to the United States. If they're operating terrorism out of Yemen, that actually matters to the United States. You can't actually just say, we're going to just, okay, we, you know, it's it's somewhere else. We're not going to de- we're not gonna deal with it. But there just seems to be a just total... Uh, disconnect between what they ha- what they have to do and the interesting thing here is that the spin of of I mean, it's my spin award of the week here um, I was using I was gonna wait for the end but you know Sean Spicer yet again another winner I think he's three weeks in a row right now which is quite impressive because we haven't heard from <laughs> Kellyanne Conway in a while well I was gonna get to that which is probably not interesting right and the uh, Sean Spicer and they're, they're asking him about Syria uh, this week and they say to him and he says, he gives a very strong attack. Today's chemical attack in Syria against innocent people, including women and children, is reprehensible and cannot be ignored by the civilized world. And if you want to stop there, that would be great. <laughs> and then he said, these heinous actions by the Bashar Assad regime are a consequence of a past administration's weakness and irresolution. Okay. Now we get into the absurdity of Sean Spicer. Okay, because not only is this entire... Okay, you might say Barack Obama, the red line, this, that, he screwed... He, he messed up. Okay, it was just a horrendous dereliction of duty on the path, and he just allowed Syria to collapse. Golf. Okay, fine. That's fine. But our president, our current president, at that time tweeted over and over I mean, it actually is that the president, the United States, should not be intervening in Syria at the time. He sent us a barrage of tweets, actually, at the time. So you turn around and say, oh, you want to... And, and, you know, it was... I mean, in fact, one tweet that he said that he wrote on September 5th of 2013, the only reason President Obama wants to attack Syria is to save face over his very dumb red line statement, do not attack Syria, fix USA. Now, you're, everybody's entitled to their opinions about what the... Uh-huh. About what the I know, I know no, no, I wasn't saying you're entitled to your own opinion about what the United States should do, but you can't turn around and say 
you are the the previous administration is to blame for what happened this week in Syria and there's no see when you become president you actually own all the problems that exist in the world and all the problems that exist in the country it's not that your predecessor now owns the problems from 2003 or you and you can just kind of wash your hands and say sorry especially when at the time you said don't do anything so how is it that you go ahead and blame, you know, and this is, this is Spicer's alternative universe. I mean, this is what it comes. So I'll let you say it, you know, your favorite Moynihan quote, because, uh, and, 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 you know, it just gets used more and more in this, uh, in this tumultuous time of alternative to, facts. You're entitled to your own opinion, but you're not entitled to your own facts. We should right? get like a ding, you know, every time you say we that. Start, so we, need, we need to bring sound effects into this show. But, but here's the thing, right? There is, we cannot count. And Michael, I, I dare you to, to, to. To challenge this, we cannot count the amount of times this president has contradicted himself from Twitter over the last 10 to 12 years. We can't, it's, it's, you can't count it. There's so many times that this president has literally tweeted one thing, said something different, said one thing on the campaign, said something completely different today. Look, I want to go back to what you said a little bit earlier and, and something we touched upon uh, a bit last week, right? But the theory of, of isolationism and staying out of world affairs has never ever worked in the history of our country, right? It is essentially the reason we got into World War One, right? After World War One, we didn't join the League of Nations, we're gonna stay away, we're gonna be isolationist, and essentially the reason we got into World War Two because we let we let uh, European countries and, and the world sort of fight it out only to drag us into it. And so was the reason why not only did, you know, did we join in the UN, but we agreed to host the UN here in New York and, and, and sort of play a major role. This idea that it is not our problem it doesn't work. Well, that was a it doesn't war. work. That was an interwar problem between World War One and World War Two, and we got World War Two from it. I'm not saying directly, but that's what most historians certainly believe. That no, the but United if you States, throw- United States wanted to have the League of Nations, and then they decided we're not going to join it. But but that's, that, but that's but the point. So how? So let's so let's use that right, and let's learn from history and, and use that to determine hey, what has the best way to handle what's going on across the, across the world? This idea that our Secretary of State is basically saying, well, they'll handle it on their own. Right? Let the Syrian people deal with it. Right. Throw our hands up. It's not our problem. It's not our problem, Michael, well, until, until it's our problem. Um, it, and it's a- actually worse than that. I mean, because statement from Secretary Tillerson on Tuesday with regard to North Korea. North Korea launched yet another intermediate-range ballistic missile. The United States has spoken about North Korea. We have no further comment. Is that is, is those the speeches from from the sixties or the fifties and the sixties? Like, what which statement is he referring to? We have no further comment. Is this like a, we, a, we, a fight between the generals on the ground? Should we push farther? Should we not push farther? I mean, we, we no. You see, we, we now it, it, what he's saying is it's not fake news. It's old news. <laughs> we just, we're just. I'm sorry. We're just. We, not, we put out statements and in, uh, in, in you know about. 60 years ago, and we're going to stand with those statements. I'm not sure which ones he's referring to, but maybe someone, you know, someone should question him a bit farther. Okay, last White House point here and, uh, of, the, uh, of the morning is uh, Dan Scavito, the White House social media director, tweets this week that he is calling for a challenge to Justin Amash, who is one of the lead Freedom Caucus members uh, of Michigan, extremely conservative. And he's saying that now two things. I mean, a lot of people jumped all over uh, Dan Scavino. He's a federal employee. He's not allowed to engage in politics. And, you know, that's a Hatch Act violation, et cetera. The, the, um, but it, it's just, it actually shows here, at least in my mind here, that the idea of going ahead and, sh- and sh- trying to punish these Freedom Caucus members for not going along with the president on health care and for not going along. 
really, you know, there comes a point where you're really overplaying your hand. And, you, you know, think? right. I mean, Justin Amash, I mean, Ted Cruz, I think, won that district like three to one in the primary or something like that. Justin Amash didn't even have a challenger at all in 2016, meaning nobody challenged him at all. I mean, they, they challenged him, you know, the, the, he challenged him on the moderate side from beforehand um, in 2014. And, they, you know, the, the people who, because he's too conservative and they lost, it's, it's kind of unclear what the message here is. If it's just a, like a personal message, you challenge the president, we're going to come back at you, you know, and tweet against you. But like the guys like basically you know bring it on and you know justin amash had a great response i thought was uh, i mean which is actually was fair. he said most people don't take well to being bullied it's constructive in fifth grade it may allow the child to get his way but that's not how our government works and it's just you know you think that just as we kind of try and figure out as they get to their hundred days um and i couldn't find the hundred day forward clock but i did found a i did find a hundred day backward clock there's apparently like 1135 days left of the administration or something like that <laughs> <laughs> so that seems to be that seems to be, but anyway i it but, just think you see kind of the immaturity of of not just just the the white house staff in, in just indiscriminately throwing out these bombs at, at others who the truth is they need to work with Michael, you know, I, I, I almost don't want to speak anymore because there's only so many times, you know. You know I, I can talk for the next, you know, couple minutes. No, yeah. because there's only to- so many times you could say that it's just, it hasn't worked. Right. At what point will it's the not, Trump administration. Right. Who is the person who can walk in there and say. It's not working. Right. Let's do something don't do different. This. Correct. I it's don't know. Not, and has, Michael, it's not know. like it's worked once or it's worked twice out of ten times. It has not worked at all. The most glaring, obviously, as we saw, because the only thing that we haven't seen outside of it in executive orders so far is health care. And health care was a colossal failure. And, of course, this president blames the Democrats, right? Much like we do for everything. We blame Obama. We blame the Democrats. It was a colossal failure because this president was unable to make a deal. He was unable. Let's, I want to say it again because... You know, we have the best deal maker in the White House, right? For all the conservatives and all the Republicans and all the Trump supporters. Sometimes being good at making a deal is not making, is knowing when not to make the deal. But you know what? I'll take that, but then get up and say, you know what? We determined this wasn't the best deal to make, but he didn't say that, did he? He didn't come back and say, well, we decided it was the best not to make a deal. He was unable to bring two parties together. So I don't care what you say about Donald Trump, and I don't care what you say about his ability and the art of the deal. He could not get it done. So I don't care how smart a businessman he is. Doesn't qualify well, that's him. The Democrats, be make make him. the Democrats wouldn't work with him. I think oh, that's what it comes down to. Oh, my God. Okay, this, is, not this is spin class on the Nachum Siegel Network. Michael Frank and Phil Goldfeder come to you from Central Perkins, Cedar Hills, New York. And let's just talk about Democrats for no, a second. No, I'm not Democrat- you get away no, no, from I'm that a, one. That's fine. You can you can attack me when I ask when I throw out the next one. Is that Neil Gorsuch? Okay, Democrats have decided to filibuster Neil Gorsuch, uh, and you know I think we could all agree it's just revenge over the Republicans' refusal to. Have Eric a hearing Garland. from Eric Garland, which is fine. I mean, I respect the fact that they're angry about it. I don't respect the fact that they want to kind of destroy the government in order to do it. And is this a good move to filibuster? We, clearly, we know the filibuster is not going to work. That they're going to they're going to end the filibuster. Is this the fight that Democrats really want to have? And who's just kind of driving you know the bus here? Are there any moderates left on either side? Um, you know, there seem to be some moderates on the Republican side. I mean, I'm not saying, you know, few and far between who respect the institutions of the uh, who who are saying let's not have let's not have a fight over this. It's going to have it, but let's you know, are there you know, and then there are actually you know two or three Democrats who don't aren't going along with the filibuster. Might be for a political reason, but 
I think tactically or politically, they're making a mistake here. Michael, look, you know, it's funny. I've been waiting. How many weeks have we been doing this show now? Many, many weeks. And I have been waiting for this moment. I have <sighs> been waiting so patiently for this moment. But how can Bring you, it on. How can Bring it you on. say, well, the Republicans are moderate and they're willing to work no. together and be pragmatic? I, government, I didn't say the, government, re- the yeah. Republicans. I said some. Okay. And, and, and there are similar... Democrats. I mean, take a look at the state. Excuse me. Take a look at the U.S. Senate. Right, coming up in two years, how many uh, Democratic seats are on the bubble? So actually, it's in it's in it's in the Democrats' best interest in the Senate to actually be more moderate, find ways to work together because they're in more com- competitive seats in the coming uh, Senate election in two years. And yep. so, it's actually arguably in the best interest of the Senate to particularly couple them. Yeah, correct. And so, I think that. The Democrats have shown over and over and over a willingness to try and get things done. And sadly, and I'm not even going to blame the House, and I'm not even going to blame Paul Ryan or the Republican leadership in the House. I'm, I'm going to blame the White House, who threatens anybody who, who goes against the line. And this is what Leader Schumer was saying. I mean, Chuck Schumer, who, as everybody knows, full disclosure, I did work for the man. But this is what he said from day one. He goes, at some point, moderate Republicans are going to walk away from this president. It's a matter of time. And you're seeing it slowly but surely, more than just... But not on this. But not on the Supreme Court nominee. Not on uh, somebody who's... What's the difference? What's the difference? That doesn't matter? Yeah, it's because you pick your issues. Like with everything, you pick your issues. You don't... We don't don't do wholesale government. We... we, we, There's specific votes. There's specific issues. Neil Gorsuch is is eminently qualified. Nobody said that we we should not confirm Elena Kagan or uh, uh, Sonia Sotomayor and we have filibuster them. Merrick Garland. Fine. Okay, Okay, there's a different... You can't say... Don't tell me about Sonia. You can't tell me any other Supreme Court justice when you you couldn't even get a hearing on the Democratic... so, so, so right. they had this thing. But there was why? this tradition of the no last year. Oh, appointment. I'm not. I, I'm okay. not getting into this it, debate. No, with no, you, no. We, we don't have to get into debate. It just it, it is. I mean, it's not. It's you, you. It's a fact. It just happened. I'm the, not saying they were right. I don't think they were right. Do I believe? The I don't think Democrats, they were right. I think Merrick Garland should have gotten here. It, it should never be. Look, and I, you've heard me, and I'm, I'm a pragmatic. When I was in government, I was, I was always tried to be pragmatic, right? And it shouldn't be like, well, you did this and I did this, or you didn't give Merrick Garland, so we're going to go against your, you know, we're going to go against Gorsuch. I don't think it's fair to characterize this as the fault of the Democrats. And by the way, to be clear, I don't think we should be characterizing this as the fault of the Republicans. I think there is a lack of leadership, right? We saw it. Uh, and let's use, I'm not going to get into the politics of the healthcare debate because we have discussed that. We discussed it last week. But the, the inability of a leadership to get, you know, to rally the troops, essentially, right? On both sides, Democrats and Republicans. Paul Ryan couldn't do it. Nancy Pelosi couldn't do it. And we couldn't get anything done. And so... I believe that there is a, a fundamental uh, problem with government today, and that and we have said this before. Is we that, agree. There is a fundamental problem with government right, and, today. And the issue is is that you have your far right and your far left. Let's be clear. Because what is everybody afraid of? They're not afraid of general elections. They're that's, afraid of primaries. That's and exactly that's, right. And we have a, absolutely. No question. Okay. A couple of things. New York state budget. First, Governor Cuomo's always talked about he was rescuing Albany from dysfunction, and now we have a late budget, meaning April 1st was the deadline, and it did not happen. So let's talk about what is going on in Albany, and obviously, you know, the contribution of Assemblyman Phil Goldfitter cannot be... over or underestimated, depending on where, the way you look at it, because for the first time, he's not there, and there is a late budget. So uh, what happened? Why did it happen? And what do, you know, is this a sign of Albany being as dysfunctional as Washington, D.C.? I think number one is, is, is what, over the last few years, and I've had the, I've had the experience in the, um, I've had the opportunity to be on the front lines in, in negotiating the budget in years past, and 
while we talk about it, it's been on time. Last year was actually a couple of days late. Also, we passed the deadline. Well, technically, by a few hours. Technically, you know, so, we don't get so technical. arguably, you know, we're we're just a few days past uh, past the the Friday deadline. I believe the Senate passed la- finished their budget uh, votes last night. Wow, that's good spin. The assembly uh, that is good. The assembly is uh, going to pass the budget today, and so you know, look. This is the fundamental problem, not just in Washington. And I think while, you know, we say all politics is local, right? Because I think that the national problems tend to sort of find themselves into local politics. And I saw that in Albany when I was there. And you're seeing it play out right now is that you have certain special interests on both sides of the aisle who refuse to compromise, right? And I don't want to get into the, you know, we would need a whole new show to get into the, the details of what was holding this up, what was not holding it up. The governor used to say when he first got in, and I was in Albany for five years, and I dealt with five budgets, and, and as a matter of fact, the, I, I, in my office today at Yeshiva University, I actually have a baseball. The governor on our fourth one called it the, the Grand Slam, uh, the fourth straight on-time budget. And so, Oh, I remember back in the day, we were still sitting there in July and August. So look, I'm not saying that, that Albany is, is dysfunctional, they're not getting it done, because yeah, we are a few days late, but the budget's getting done today. But you know why the budget's getting, getting done today? Because everybody finally said, you know what? It's in the best interest of the state to just put aside our differences, put aside our, our right-wing views, our left-wing views, and let's find a way to make it work. Now, the governor does get blamed for that. I'm not saying, look, and, and the governor's a good friend, and, 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 and I'm, I'm happy about our relationship, and I'm, 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 we've always had a great relationship, but he is the leader of the state. Right? It's his job to bring parties together and, and make a deal, right? And he was unable to do that in a timely fashion. And so we have a budget that I wouldn't call late, but, but just a few days delayed. Just a few days delayed. Now that is, by folks, if that is classic right there, there is political doublespeak for you. But uh, we will. The <laughs> governor blamed Washington, which I thought actually was you know clever on his part. But of course, you know you think about it, he blamed the fact that there's no federal budget in place. But there was no expectation this would be a federal budget in place. It's it's kind of like let's tell the public something, kind of like you're doing now. That you know, hopefully they're gonna not see through it and fig- and figure out. But you know, that's what that's what politicians do. That's what's been. That's why people out there don't. The question is, if I have to pay my taxes on time by April fifteenth, why can't politicians do their job and get and meet their deadlines? Is every deadline expendable? So, Michael, I think you know, and if you can look back at all our shows, and, and we use this federal government as a, as a tool for our purposes as well, in terms of, of giving us topic and, and things to talk about. Every time there is a bubble or a problem in New York City, Bill De Blasio, who is a good friend, blames the federal government, blames Donald Trump. Uh, he blames the state also. That's not the. Uh, okay. hey, <laughs> well, I mean, actually, he more regularly blames Andrew Cuomo. His relationship with Andrew Cuomo aside, but if you take a look at the governor's statement, uh, the night that the budget uh, wasn't passed, um, and the statement from the governor, and I, I forget exactly, it was a long statement, but the first six out of eight paragraphs are all about the president and, and his budget cuts and how it's going to impact New York. And then towards the end, it goes, well, and there was an inability from legislative leaders to actually get, get something done. I think they're all to blame. Um, I'm a huge fan of Speaker Carl Hasty. I've, you know, Senator Flanagan, who represents uh, parts of, um, of Long Island, you know, has done, I think, a, a very good job. But the three of them all have a responsibility. You know, it's, it's unfair for the governor to say, well, it's the assembly and the Senate's fault. And it's unfair for the Senate to say, well, it's the assembly and the governor's fault. I think if we're going to say it's three men in a room or there's a few people who are determining the budget, then those people need to be... You got to own it together. You got to own it all together. All right. Quick wrap up. I th- uh, three points I wanted to make. Uh, by the time we return in two weeks from now, 
there will have been a special election in Georgia, and there is actually a possibility in a very conservative Republican district because there is a multi-candidate uh, election that where the top two go into the runoff that a Democrat could win, that they're looking at that he could win 50% and thereby steal that seat for the Democrats. That could be a bellwether we talked about before. It's Georgia's 6th district, and we will see. There's like 12 Republicans running and one Democrat. Could he get 60%? The other thing, is, of course, is Mike Flynn. We didn't really get to that. Will he kind of turn and flip, and is he angry enough to try possibly and take down the uh, administration over the Russia thing? The other thing with regard to Carter Page the fact that this guy was recruited to be a Russian agent, um, actually, you know, it's come out and then served as a senior advisor in the Trump campaign. Well, that's a head scratcher altogether. And I want to close with seven-year-old Dana Alabed, who is a Syrian refugee, who has been tweeting, I think, at the president, as, but particularly Ivanka. Uh, the world is watching and the world doesn't do anything when it comes to Syria. I'm not sure exactly what they should be doing, but I'll tell you one thing from my point of view, and I think we kind of agreed on this earlier in the show. Whatever they're doing is actually bad <laughs> and it's just it, it, it doesn't even look good what this administration is doing so everybody to everybody out there this is spin class here on the Nachum Siegel Network stay tuned for Jew in the City Speaks with Allison Josephs and we will see you in two weeks